Today we are coming to our final study in this brief fall series entitled Pumpkins, Parables and Thanksgiving. And if you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me please to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15, as we're reading that well-known story of the prodigal son. And it begins at verse 11, running all the way through to the end of the chapter at verse 31. And as most of you are aware, the prodigal son is arguably one of the best known of all the parables, certainly in the top three, along with the Good Samaritan. And of course, as you know, it's the story where Jesus paints this wonderful picture of a father with two sons. And as the narrative unfolds, what we discover is exactly what we've discovered in the other parables. Jesus teaches it in such a compelling manner that you find yourself being drawn into the parable, longing to find out what happens next. And so we come to it with a sense of excitement and anticipation. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, And he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over the next few weeks, as we make our descent towards Thanksgiving on Thursday and then into the Christmas season, there will come a point over the next couple of weeks, if you have not been thinking already, about what is the perfect gift for those in your life whom you love dearly. And I suspect as you go through the mental list, as you ask children and grandchildren for a list from Santa, as you chat with uh, husbands and wives, and you say, what would you like for Christmas? There is a distinct probability some of you will begin to think, ah, I've got it. They need a new cell phone. And when your mind begins to think of cell phone, if you are anything like me, I try and do as much research before I buy anything as possible. And you may go to a consumer goods website and look at choosing the perfect smartphone for Christmas 2021. And those consumer websites help you to think through issues like the best phone for extended battery life. The best phone for photographers. Meet the new folding phone. Not just a flip phone that comes up this way, but a phone that in fact opens this way and the screen itself splits. And it is pretty impressive. Next, you have the gamer's dream phone, perhaps for a son or daughter in your life who enjoys playing games on the phone. Then the best newcomer brands. And then finally, the one that is proving incredibly popular, the best phone for seniors. And you naturally think through everything that's involved because you want that perfect gift that will be ideal for the person you're giving it to. Now, of course, it's going to take them a few days to get used to it, but that's just fine. A couple of years ago, back in 2019, when I think it was the iPhone 11, so please forgive me, came out. There you had iPhone suggesting before it came out, this is the perfect phone. It's two and a half feet long and it's incredibly slim. Uh, but of course, it never went anywhere. Uh, and they were, it was all in jest before the 11 came out. And naturally you think, what can a phone do? Can it keep me in touch with family and friends and email and text? Can I access TikTok and my Instagram account or Facebook or uh, whatever you use most of the time? Can I read the daily news on it? What can I do with it? And when the iPhone 11 came out, I remember distinctly watching a news broadcast and the 
interviewer was standing outside an Apple store and a man came out who was one of the first to buy the new iPhone 11 and he said to him, why did you want a new iPhone 11? And the man said, I wanted to feel as if I was living in 2019. I don't know how he feels today, but two years ago, that's what he wanted. He wanted the latest greatest so he could access all of these gadgets and be super cool. Now, being super cool is not an experience only for the 21st century. Because I'm fairly convinced that as Jesus is painting the picture of the passage we read, the parable of the lost son, the younger son who goes to his father and says, give me my inheritance now, today. I think that young man wanted to be super cool. I think he wanted to spend his inheritance on things that were exciting, enticing. He wanted everything all of his friends had. He wanted to travel to places no one else in his family had been. He wanted experiences that no one else in his family had had. And I imagine, at least in my mind, and if you can come there in your imagination, come with me, because I imagine this younger son in his yearbook that year was probably described as one best to succeed. I imagine he was indeed super cool. I imagine he was the kind of young man everyone wanted to hang out with. I imagine he was the kind of young man with the best GPA scores. I imagine he was the kind of young man that folks would think the very best of. And I imagine he couldn't wait to receive his inheritance. But please understand the context in which Jesus is speaking. The first half of Luke's gospel is dominated by the miracles of Jesus. And the second half of his gospel is dominated by his teaching. And here in Luke 15, Jesus takes three parables, not just one, puts them all together. And if you look down at your Bible, you will see it, chapter 15, verse 1, the parable of the lost sheep, which is another well-known parable. Then at verse 8, the parable of the lost coin. And now at verse 11, the parable of the lost son. And throughout this chapter, Jesus is painting a picture of what it means to be lost. And more importantly, he also paints a picture of the love and grace of God and his compassion to long to find that which is lost. And so having taught on the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus takes it a step further by inviting his listeners into this parable of the prodigal son. And he paints wonderfully this picture of a young man. A young man whom I am fairly convinced was not simply wanting his inheritance and wanting to be cool. But I think he was, as I mentioned earlier, seeking that new experience. Going places no one else in his family had been. And I think he left his family home quite shortly afterwards. It doesn't tell us, but it does say, verse 13, not long after that... 
receiving his inheritance, the young son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And sadly we read, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Now follow that narrative in your mind. As the story is unfolding, here is this young man who has had all of his wants answered. His father has given him significant wealth, half of his inheritance, the other half going to the older son. And here is this young man leaving home filled with a sense of anticipation and excitement. He can't wait to see what comes next. And as we read, he squandered that wealth. No discernment, no good judgment. He spent it as quick as he possibly could. And then things began to spin out of control. There was a famine And the famine was so severe that the food shortage was at critical level and he simply couldn't eat. He had nothing and no one and nowhere to go. And he goes, as any of us would, to try and find a job. There wasn't much going on. And he ends up feeding pigs on a farm. Now imagine what that means for a good Jewish boy to feed pigs which were considered unclean. And the passage tells us he longed to eat the food and the scraps that had been thrown out and given to the pigs. He longed to eat them for himself. And he was now experiencing what no one else in his family had experienced. And his hopes and dreams and longings had come to nothing. Had come to nothing. And then in verse 17, things begin to change. And notice what he says in those six words when he came to his senses. And notice he has this dialogue with himself. Ever have a conversation in your own mind? Happens to me multiple times a day. And here in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and went to his father. Now notice what was happening here. When he came to his senses. What does that mean? It means, I imagine, that he was thinking back to the person he once was. He was thinking back to his home and the comfort and the provision of food and an inheritance. And now it was no more. Best to succeed in his yearbook? Not so much. 
An older brother who had everything hired servants of his father who had so much and he had nothing. Zero. It was over. And his hopes and dreams had withered and died in front of him. He had nothing. And when he came to his senses, and notice what the passage doesn't say. The passage doesn't say that when he came to his senses, he said to himself, I will go back, I will apologize to my father, I will re-enroll in college, I will pull myself up by my bootstraps, I will work hard, I will make a difference, I will be right there. And my father and brother can count on me moving forward. I don't ever want to do this again. And that's not the focus of his conversation. The focus of his conversation is this. That he gets to a point so low that the spiritual reality behind the misery he is experiencing comes to the forefront of his mind and it is followed by deep conviction. Notice what the passage says. He's rehearsing in his mind what he says to his father and he says, Father, I have sinned. And I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And he understands and he realizes how far he has fallen. And the conviction and love and grace of God become a reality to him. I have sinned. He ruined his father's good name. He has squandered what his father worked all of his life to provide for him. And he has wasted all that he had. Now come back with me here in your mind. Do you think all of that had drifted back to his hometown? Bad news has a way of carrying so much quicker than good news. And I imagine the gossip and rumor and speculation was happening at home. And I imagine his father and older brother had heard about this. But with significant courage, the convicting grace of God, the whisper to the soul that says... Go home. It's time. Return. And what does he do? He does exactly that. And notice what he says. So he got up, verse 20, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And filled with compassion, he ran to his son. Think of that. Why did his father see him? doesn't tell us the father was out in the field working alongside the older son. doesn't tell us a servant came to him to tell him his son had come home. The father saw him. How? Why? 
Because I think that every day his younger son was away from him, he prayed for him. And he prayed for the protecting hand of God. And he prayed for the hand of grace of God to be upon him. And he would hear the rumor and the gossip and the speculation. And the father prayed and prayed and prayed. And why did he see his son coming? Because he knew his son's walk. He had taught him to walk. He had held him by the hand. He had fed him his food when he was a wee boy. And had prayed for him and loved him every day since. And folks, please understand, this is not a father sitting there watching saying, well, I knew it would end this way. Go get his brother. Wait till the two of us get together and say, we told you, no point coming back now. We tried to tell you. Who do you think you are? Coming back after all you have done? Come on. None of that takes place. And you have this wonderful picture as Jesus begins to describe an older Jewish man running, running towards his son. The father takes the initiative. He doesn't wait to see what the son's going to say. He takes the initiative. He runs to him, throws his arms around him. My son was lost. Is now found, was dead and is alive again. Quick, bring him a robe, sandals for his feet. Give him his signet ring and let's celebrate. And many of you are already there in your mind because this is not only a parable about a young son on hard times. This is a parable about the love and grace and goodness of Almighty God who loves His children from the moment they were born. Who puts His hand of protection around them regardless of how far they wander. Regardless of how stupid the decisions and poor choices and mistakes we make. He is always going to come towards us, arms outstretched, calling us to himself, lavishing his love upon us. And when the young man is able to speak, he says to him, Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. I've dragged your name in the mud. I've spent all that you have. I've ruined you in the eyes of others. But that's not the focus of the Father. The focus of the Father is one of grace and goodness and love and welcome. And the Son says, Please, don't treat me as a son. Treat me as a hired servant. And His Father utterly refuses Utterly refuses. And again we see that picture of love and grace. And if you are here this morning, if you are watching on our Fox broadcast or on our live stream, please, please, please hear this. If you remember nothing else about the service this morning, please hear this. 
regardless of how far you have wandered, regardless of how far you have drifted, if you're ever tempted to think that you are in a place so dark, so heinous, that the love and grace of Almighty God cannot find you and cannot reach you and He will never forgive you, please don't believe it for a moment. Because His love knows no boundaries. And there is never a place so deep it cannot find you. There is never a barrier so high. There is never a road so long that He cannot reach you and draw you back. And if in recent weeks and months you have been living with a besetting sin, you cannot get over this is your moment. Come home! Come home! Because in this Thanksgiving week, He's calling you again. Come home. He'll refresh you with His love. Renew you heart and mind and soul. Because His focus is not on what you have done. His focus is on drawing you to Himself once more. That's the story of the prodigal son. But it's only the first half. Because there's the second part of the story of the prodigal son. Of the older brother who was out working in the fields. And he hears all the commotion and the music and the celebration. And so he goes to the house to find out what's going on. He doesn't go in. He calls one of the servants and asks, what is happening? And the servant tells him, your younger brother has come home. And notice what the passage says. And he became angry. Isn't that strange? He became angry. You would envisage that he would rush into the house. Where is he? Where is he? I've heard he's home. This is great news. Father, where is he? Is he okay? Is he injured? We've heard so much. Is he well? And the opposite takes place. Bitterness. Anger. He becomes resentful. And he refuses to go into the house. And once again the picture emerges that the father takes the initiative. And he steps out to meet the older brother now. Once again, we see the wonderful picture of God's loving grace and initiative to us. And he pleads with him, come in. And the older brother treats the father in a manner that's less than gracious. And it becomes all about him. Not the younger brother who's come back becomes all about him. I've worked here for years. You've never once treated me well. You've never once given me a fatted calf. What are you doing? He was off living in a wild life. Can you see it in your mind? And he becomes self-righteous. 
comparing himself with his brother. And that's the mark of the man. And it's not only the younger brother who needs to repent and seek the presence and love and grace of God, but the older brother likewise. And Luke 15, for those of you familiar with the chapter, know this, that it begins with Jesus teaching tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees and teachers of the law. Tax collectors and sinners are the younger brother. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are the older, is the older brother, filled with self-righteousness, filled with, look what I've done. And both needing forgiveness and grace. There's a well-known YouTube video And the video focuses on a young boy. He's probably 10 or 11, probably Nathan's age. And the video shows a young lamb and it's got its head stuck in a ditch that's running alongside the road and the lamb cannot get its head out and the young boy goes down beside it and he puts one hand on the back and one hand on the front and he's pulling ever so gently and he's speaking to the lamb and he's telling it it's okay and he's pulling and easing and pulling and easing and eventually he gets the lamb out and the lamb of course is bleating she's so pleased to get out and he puts it up on the side of the road and he steps up beside it And after a couple of faltering steps, it begins to get strength and circulation back into its legs. And it is so happy, so caught up in the moment, it begins to bounce around as young lambs do. And guess what? Bounced right back into the ditch, another four or five feet further on. And you can hear again in the video, as it's stuck once more. And the comments... Below the video are these. Someone writes, that's the story of my life. Someone else writes, that's why Jesus called us sheep. Someone else writes, me and Jesus on a regular basis. And we know that feeling. And then this is a great representation of what we do after Jesus drags us out of the ditch. We fall and or jump right back in and need to be rescued again. If that describes you this morning, whether you're here live in the sanctuary watching on our television broadcast or our live stream, come home. There is no greater gift of love and grace to be welcomed and brought back and renewed and refreshed and loved all over again and to hear the love and grace of a Father who loves you and loves you deeply. May that be your experience this Thanksgiving week. As individuals, families across the nation, we gather and give thanks to God for his love. And you can rest in him this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you 
for this powerful reminder this morning that you are indeed a gracious and loving Heavenly Father. And regardless of how far we have wandered, regardless of how heinous the sin, you are there for us. And you love us because you love us, quite simply because you love us. Father, bless us, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.